Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be joined by Chris 7E from 7einvestments.com. He is the CEO and co-founder, brings more than 25 years of real estate experience to the table. He's accumulated a portfolio of over 500 notes with an impressive unpaid balance of $25 million. He's also done things like rehabbed and constructed properties worth over $150 million and managed over 750 million in new construction projects. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Beth, thanks for having me today. Um, our pleasure. Let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started? So I get started, uh, my real estate journey actually started after college. I was an engineer by trade and I started working for a large commercial general contractor, which is where a lot of that new construction experience came about. And then in about a decade ago, I flipped to the dark side, you know, proverbial dark, dark side to go work for a developer, a real estate developer. And my, uh, my boss at the time was asking me about my, my personal portfolio and what do I have in it? And I was like, I got nothing in it. And he laughed at me and he says, you know, okay, you're never going to retire. <laughs> um, so uh, 10 years ago, I kicked it into overdrive by starting to do some rehabs on some, uh, you know, the Burr strategy of buy it, rent, refinance, and did several of those until uh, that became a little bit too much having, you know, the wife and kids. And that's where I stumbled upon note investing, which I've been doing now for the last seven plus years. And how did 7E get started? So 7E, uh, interesting, you know, long story short, actually the 7 and the E, the play on my name came from third grade where I had to do a coat of arms um in school and my father came up with that and when kind of i started to do my own company uh to do again we had the rentals and then started getting into notes kind of and my father just passed away just took the play off of that from many many de you know decades ago and you know got started you know with my own money my own portfolio um buying um some distressed mortgage notes and started at one and next thing you know i'm you know 500 plus I would imagine you've learned a couple lessons along the way. Um, can you share some of them with us? Absolutely. So uh, like most entrepreneurs, we're all extreme type A people and we're always go, go, go. And a lot of us are also very emotional. And when I deal with what we deal with in distressed debt, you have to understand sometimes you have to lose a battle to win a war, no matter what business you're in. 
And I was always the type of person who wanted to win and at, no matter at what cost. And then I realized it was costing me money um, to, uh, you know, to sometimes try and win a battle that sometimes you just gotta, you know, you gotta fold, fold your cards and, uh, you know, basically let, let one go by and when you're defeated dealing for us, like again, with defaulted borrowers, um, like paying them cash for keys to get out of a property where somebody has been living free for many years that can rub you the wrong way. And, but at the end of the day, it's probably going to save you time and money. So that's the one thing I would tell people is you got to take emotion out of it and not win every war. Okay. So let's, you've just said a whole lot. You packed a lot <laughs> in to that answer. So let's unpack some of okay. it. So first yep. of all, the business you're in now, what does yep. 7E do? Great question. Um, so we invest in distressed mortgage notes. Okay. So, so what is a distressed mortgage note? So a distressed mortgage note is most of us own a property or own a home and you have a mortgage. Uh, for us, we buy the ones that are delinquent. Now, when people think of, most people think, oh my God, I miss a mortgage payment. I'm going to have somebody come drag me out of my house and throw me out. Uh, that's actually the furthest from the truth. Our average delinquency on a loan is like three years. So people are three years behind on their mortgage. The banks don't want to deal with all this bad paper, so they sell it. So um, we're one of the people who will go out and buy that distressed paper. Okay, so theoretically, you're right. I would have assumed that, you know, I would start getting nasty letters from my mortgage company, you know, seven days after my payment was due. Yep. Um, you're talking about people who've been in the house for three years, haven't paid a mortgage payment, dumb what would seem to me to be a dumb question, probably not to you. Why hasn't the mortgage company like foreclosed, kicked them out, like gone through all this stuff? Yeah. And for anybody who's ever had to deal with extreme large corporations like banks, uh, there's a lot of red tape. So they will send you letters. They will call you a hundred times. And then eventually they're like, we give up. And why is that the case? Because most banks operate like a car manufacturer mortgage when it's being paid is on that assembly line everything's going good they know their process the moment it goes in default it's like a car the manufacturer goes off the you know goes off the rails and then it's like uh oh now what do we do and you know it's very you know that's a great analogy we like to use and you know and that's really what it boils down to is the inefficiencies of the banks to you know handle it because they're not built to handle distressed debt Okay, so they've sent letters, they've called, they've said, hey, you're going to pay, you need to pay. Mm -hmm. Three years worth, 36 months worth of chasing me, they haven't sold the paper, they haven't evicted me yet? Typically, no. We've. I was actually on a mediation today um, before we got on this call, but the borrower hadn't paid in 10 years. Wow. I, I would think, how do the, don't the banks have to report that they got a non-performing loan on their books after the subprime bubble? They, they do. And they actually have to carry it as a liability on their books. And that's one of the reasons why they sell it. Um, and what happens though, too, is when they decide to sell, that's when everything stops. So they're not going to spend any more time or effort on that asset. So it just sticks in a file. And we've had instances where somebody you know, we would buy it because the bank also may not get the price they want. And they're like, okay, we're waiting for this price. So eventually they're like, okay, we'll now sell it at this price. And we've actually bought files where, you know, we look into the file and this person has been trying to pay for the last six months, but they didn't know where to send the payment or they couldn't get somebody on the phone. 
Wow. Okay. So how do you get notified? How do you find out that the bank has has mortgages they want to get rid of or sell? Yep. So it's kind of, I'll say, the trickle-down effect. Um, you know, banks typically don't, you know, advertise or broadcast their selling their portfolios. What they'll do is they'll go to a large like merger and acquisition company or what's called who also acts as what's called a whole loan trader. Um, and they hire them. And actually, they have them sell the asset for them. But a lot of times it's the buyer who will pay the uh, like a 1% commission. So if somebody if you're a bank and says, Okay, wait a second, Seth, I can give you 500 loan portfolio for you to sell and you're going to handle all of that for me and I don't have to pay you a dime you're going to the buyer pays that fee um you know why wouldn't they do that you know and again banks aren't in the process of daily selling and buying loans so they don't you know you're not going to keep somebody on staff just for that so they will outsource it to a specialist just like if you were selling your home you typically don't sell it yourself you hire you know an expert at it very similar. That makes a lot of sense. So can anybody off the street go buy a distressed mortgage or do we have to have a company like 70 do it for us? Or are you the only one? How does that work? Yeah, I wish I was the only one that could do this. But the reality is anybody can do it. Uh, you know, certain states you have to you may have to be licensed um, and get a license to do it. But for the most part, um, no, anybody can go buy a distressed mortgage note. Uh, what I would tell people is it's very different than buying distressed real estate um, where, okay, I'm fi I'm buying a house to fix it up and rehab it because you're working, you know, just with that property. You know, we like to say we fix and flip the borrower where we're working with the borrower to basically rehab them to get them paying again, which enhances the value of the loan. But when you're working with a consumer, you know, there's things called consumer protection laws. Um, so I can't call up a borrower yelling and screaming at them. I don't even talk to the borrowers, actually. We use a licensed company that is trained on how to deal with borrowers for that reason specifically because I don't feel like getting sued by a borrower because of their alleging something we said to them. Right, and you violated the FDCPA or whatever it is. Exactly, yep. Okay, so how do you buy the debt from the banks and how do you pick what debt you buy? Is this like you know, the big short or whatever, where you're sitting there with this giant binder and no one knows what's actually in it. How does that work? Oh, so it's actually kind of comical because it's so old school how this goes. They said it's called a tape, but it's an Excel spreadsheet with just a bunch of data on it that you can cherry pick. So you can pick one or you can pick a hundred of them and basically they'll say, okay, give me your bid by Friday. So, you know, we'll have the address, the borrower name and a bunch of information on there. And we'll do some initial research. It's like putting in an offer on a house. That's almost, oh, it's like buying a house where, okay, I did some research on it. Here's an offer based off of everything checking out to be good. And then once that offer gets accepted, then we start our full due diligence, just like you would on a home, like a home inspection and everything else. Um, so for us, the type of loans we look to buy are, we actually don't want the property. Some people will think, oh, you just want to go foreclose and stuff. And that's not the case. It's actually more profitable to try and work something out with the borrower. And the reason why, and this is why people buy distressed notes is because I pay a discount for it. A $100,000 note, I might pay 50, 60, $70,000 for. 
Now, if I paid 60,000 and I can get that borrower to give me a few thousand down and then another thousand per month, you know, the returns are extremely, you know, profitable. Um, so we look at the properties, we look at the borrower from the perspective of, you know, how'd they get in this predicament, which is typically death, divorce, job loss, um, or health issue. Uh, then we look at the property where we send somebody by, because I can't knock on your door and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking to buy a mortgage. Can I see the inside of your house? You know, we'll send people to look at the outside of the property, and then we'll kind of do a deep dive into the borrower, meaning, okay, how many times have they filed bankruptcy? You know, if somebody's filed bankruptcy, we've seen somebody file bankruptcy eight times. So they know how to game the system. That I thought you couldn't file again once you file, like you have to wait seven years. Are you saying for 48 years, 56, whatever years, they file every seven or eight years? Oh, no, they're filing every. So I've got one right now. They filed three times in 2023. So I would imagine they got rejected and then tried again. Yeah. And what one of them does, which is really good, is um, husband file. He gets booted. The wife files. She gets booted. So they file independently. So it only counts as one. So a lot of times, you know, they give you like two or three strikes. So they're like using a double, you know, tag team effort to, to do some of this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we had one borrower, for example, 18 page rap sheet. I mean, literally there was things on there that I didn't even know. I mean, I've never seen someone, you know, get it, uh, you know, tried for. Um, and then the other is also, we're also cognizant. Like we've had one where it was a borrower who, single mother, husband passed away, five kids and couldn't afford the property. You know, in that instance, we can't help that borrower and I don't want to be saddled with that problem. <laughs> so, so many different varieties of uh, things we look at. But again, we look at somebody who had that one-time predicament because most people don't wake up saying, I'm going to stop paying my mortgage today. Some people do. Um, but the people who got into a challenge or a problem, that we think we can solve are the loans we like to buy. That makes a lot of sense. And if you're buying for 40, 50, you know, 50, 60 cents on the dollar and able to recruit, you know, if you're buying a hundred thousand dollar mortgage for 50, you even get 75 of that back and you made a good chunk of change. Exactly. Now, does that mean you have people like boots on the ground? You mentioned another company that is physically calling and negotiating with borrowers and trying to get them back on a payment schedule. Yes. Yep. And then obviously the carrot is let's get you back and start reestablishing credit because you've had this against you for the last three years. And the stick would be, hey, the bank may not have wanted to foreclose and kick you out, but we will. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> you end up having to it, do you end up having to do that? And then you're in the real estate business of you now have to go check out the house. Does it need to be fixed up before you sell it type of thing? Yeah, it's rare. Um, our foreclosure rates less than 10 percent. You know, five, six years ago, when I was buying loans that were on vacant properties, of course, your rate would be higher in those instances. But again, as you mentioned, we learn a lot of lessons. Um, you know, time is its greatest educator. So we've been able to, you know, understand kind of what fits our buy box. Um, so it's, you know, very rare that we do foreclose. But when we do, yeah, we have to uh, basically take that property over and Going back to when we started, how did I get into this? You know, I started in the construction industry, building, you know, managing construction projects. You know, the guy in the white shirt and tie on a project. That it's hard enough managing a project that's right in front of you or across the street. Managing one from 500 miles away to me is physically impossible, and the time and effort it takes for the money you make isn't worth it. But we will trash out that property, 
get it in a position where an investor will want to buy it. And then we'll put it on the market and typically an investor will buy it, which the last three years, not a lot of houses, a lot of investors buying property. So it's been pretty well. What, with all the success you've achieved, what's your biggest challenge now? Biggest challenge now is, so we manage a fund. Um, so start out buying one note. Now we manage a fund. Um, it's, you know, for anyone who, you know, manages a business, uh, you know, managing an asset versus managing a business, very, very different. Uh, so it's always that push and pull of, okay, we've raised money. Now we invest it. Now also we have a lot of deals. We got to go raise money. You know, it's not a multifamily syndication where it's, okay, here's the asset we want to buy. Let's go raise the money. It's an evergreen and open ending fund. Um, so that's one aspect, but you know, that is manageable. The thing that is probably what keeps me up at night is government regulation. I can't control it. And all of a sudden the government steps in and says, you can't do this or you can't do that. Okay. For example, they just last month came back and said, oh, we have 400,000 uh, veteran affair loans that have gone delinquent. So what are you going to do? Oh, nobody can foreclose on those for six months. Um, you know, COVID, perfect example. Oh, you can't foreclose in a lot of these states. Interestingly enough, during COVID, which I thought would be scary for us, was our best years ever. And the reason why is interest rates plummeted. So everybody and people got government money. So everyone refinanced or sold their home. So we were getting that $100,000 mortgage that we paid 60 grand for. We we're getting a full 100 grand because they were selling the house. That makes a lot of sense. Um, who is an ideal investor for you for the fund? Um, so we can accept um, both accredited and non-accredited investors because we have the regulation A plus offering. Uh, for us, it's people who, um, you know, are not looking to hit the grand slam or the home runs. Now, because we are the bank, like we don't have a leverage. So it's not like a um, hundred million dollar deal. We got 65 million of bank money and 35 of our own to, you know, use that leverage. Um, so it's kind of slow and steady. So people who are just looking for something that is not correlated to the stock market, really not correlated to real estate values because our loans are older and there's so much equity that even a 50% drop in real estate wouldn't even probably put a dent in our portfolio. Um, so, you know, we look at some people who are looking kind of slow and steady, not correlated to other asset classes. How did you buy the first one? How did that even come to your attention? Was that someone you knew whose mortgage you bought or like you didn't go to a giant what Wells Fargo and say, hi, I'd like to bid on one. No. Yep. So uh, actually funny story, uh, you know, I was listening to a podcast and one of the guys who was hosting the podcast, he was teaching a lot of people how to do distressed uh, mortgages. And at the end of the year, he started thanking everybody. You know, he did his thank yous for the year. So I'm sitting there, I'm writing down all the names and I'm like Googling who these people are. One of them was a guy who operated a fund. So I reached out to him and said, you know, one of the things I would tell anybody as you're getting into your business, be honest with everyone. Don't oversell yourself. I said, hey, look, I'm a new note investor, never bought a note. Um, I know you got some assets that you might be looking to sell. I'd be interested in spending 25 grand on assets. Guy sends me a list and I basically cherry picked a handful of assets from that. And that's the one thing about note investing too. You know, I can, you know, think about a half a million dollar house. If you want to buy that half million dollar house, it's a half million. But if you've been paying your mortgage for 20 years and missed some payments, you might only have 25,000 left on that mortgage. So it's a lot less barrier to entry or cost. Um, so that's what I did. I bought 
a handful of notes that were like five, six, seven thousand dollars a piece. And I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna pay a guru all this money to do it. Trial by fire. If I'm wrong on all of them, I lose twenty something grand. But chances of that happening were I thought low and kind of just work through those assets, made a little bit of money on them, and then just constantly kept refining my models and you know buying assets and understanding the risk, the cost, and everything else, and being an engineer and you know good with numbers, keeping all that historical data. And now today I have swaths of data that we can use that um, you know are so beneficial for us. That is awesome. Your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you're doing? Um, I think, well, it's a two, two part answer to that. One is I love being able to solve problems and in the same token, being able to help people that sometimes might not know the problem, but nobody's ever just tried to help them where, you know, we've had borrowers who, you know, basically people are like, okay, just give me all the money up front. And they're like, I can't do that. And nobody's reached out to them and asked them like, what could you afford? You know, and all of a sudden when you reach out to them, like, hey, look, I put my shoes and socks on the same way you do every day. You know, I'm not Wells Fargo with trillion dollars behind me. You know, we're a fund. We want to try and work with you. But in order to play ball, you know, you need to step up to the plate. And we, you know, and we will step up to the plate if you can step up to the plate and try and work out a win-win. Um, and once you start that conversation with people where it's not adversarial, um, you know, it can it goes a lot different direction because most people who are in distress are embarrassed more than anything. That makes a lot of sense. Well, we know your time is incredibly valuable. We greatly appreciate you spending some of it with us. Chris, where is the best place for people to go to learn more about you and what you're doing? Yep. So it's our website, 7einvestments.com. That's the number seven, the letter E and investments.com. All right. Thanks so much. This has been Seth Green with Chris 7E of 7E Investments. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Seth. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We will talk to you or see you next time. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit C-SuiteRadio.com.